Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swinging a fly ball on the infield. Stewart slams his bat down as Candelario, the third baseman, drifts inside of the mound, makes the catch, and Josiah Gray has tossed six shutout innings here in New York for the second time this season. Thompson to the belt. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive. Base into the right field. This will tie the game. Up with the ball is Thomas throwing in behind the runner. Alonso at second, who dives back in safely. Finnegan sends. He kicks, he delivers. Swing and a fly ball to right. Thomas Hackling to his left toward the line. He'll make the catch. The runner will tag. Here comes the throw toward the plate on one hop. The tag is not in time. Diving across the plate is Pete Alonso scoring with a go-ahead run. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, July 28th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at City Field in New York City. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. There have been many themes to this 2023 Nat season. One of those themes lately, unfortunately, has been rain. Way too many rain delays in Nats games lately. We on Thursday night had yet another rain delay. This one lasting for an hour and 37 minutes and coming at quite the time. Kyle Finnegan, he was all set to come into the game in a big spot. Bottom of the eighth, bases loaded, one out, the game tied at one. He was warmed up. He was ready to go. And then, right as his outing was about to begin, we got the rain delay. Again, one hour, 37 minutes. And yet after the delay, Finnegan still pitched. Faced two batters, got two outs, but the first out was a tie-breaking one-out RBI sack fly by Mark Canna for a 2-1 Mets lead, and that was the final. 2-1 loss for the Nats at the Mets. The Nats fell to 43-60. and Mark, that must have felt like the longest two-batter outing for Kyle Finnegan ever. He pitched 97 minutes after he was supposed to pitch. And had 97 minutes to contemplate a bases-loaded jam in a tie game. That's what made this so weird, Al. I've never seen anyone have a situation quite like that. There have been rain delays late in games and all that kind of stuff. I don't think I've ever seen it with the bases loaded in a tie game after the guy had already been summoned from the bullpen. It was so unusual. And throughout that time, we're all wondering, okay, are you going to let him come back and pitch? And if not him, who else do you even have at that point? Now, I guess fortunately, 
for a reliever, it's not as big a deal because as Kyle mentioned himself, it happens all the time. You warm up in the bullpen thinking you may be coming in the next inning and then something happens, it changes it and you sit back down and then you end up coming in much later. So he tried to treat it that way. And he said that had nothing to do with the way he pitched. And honestly, he didn't do anything wrong on the mound. He got the two outs. They almost pulled off a miraculous double play to get the go-ahead run at the plate. And it's unfortunate it all came to that, but that was a weird one. I don't think I've ever seen a game that had a delay like that in that spot. And let me tell you, it poured. Props to the grounds crew here and the umpires for calling it when they did. They could have tried to keep going there. And if they did, it would have absolutely started pouring in the middle of that at bat with the bases loaded. And they may not have been able to get the tarp on the field in time. It was coming down that hard that quickly. Yeah, I mean, we do see guys sometimes pitch in each game of a doubleheader. So like what Finnegan did on Thursday night isn't completely unheard of, but it was odd. It's certainly not something you're used to seeing. With this Nats bullpen and the state of it, and you know, basically at this point, Davey Martinez not knowing who to trust, and the fact that the Nats are in the midst of a stretch of two weeks with no scheduled off day, the next scheduled off day isn't until this coming Thursday, and the Nats pitching staff has been messed with big time by all of these rain delays, you know, you get these sort of unforeseen consequences, you get ramifications that you don't necessarily anticipate, and I got to think that this is one of them, that, you know, if the bullpen is in a different state, if you feel better about relievers, you maybe don't have Kyle Finnegan do what he did on Thursday night. And he's not the reason the Nats lost the game. But like, I think thinking about what was going to happen during that rain delay, I think we all were kind of like, yeah, Finnegan can go. He probably should go (laughs) because who else are you going to go to? I mean, Joe LaSorsa, like, you know, who are you going to go with in a spot like that? Again, bottom of the eighth, bases loaded, one out, game tied at one. Yeah. No, there was nobody else. Not if you're trying your very best to win the game, which they were doing. Now, I mean, the craziest part of it is even if he had gotten out of that, and he almost did, he's still got to come back and pitch the ninth. I mean, that was the intention all along is that he's going to get his way out of the jam that Mason Thompson created and then come back to pitch the ninth in what is ultimately still a tie game or perhaps the Nats would have taken the lead by that point. So it does show you how thin the bullpen is. He fired all the bullets he had. Davey did in this game. He used Weems and Ferrer to get through the seventh. Then Thompson. Thompson is really what turned this into uh, you know, what happened in that he could not get through the inning. Some of it was bad luck. There was a little dribbler in front of the plate. There was a blooper to shallow center field, but then he lost his command after that and loaded the bases. And the strategy was all fine. They did what they had to do to try to win that game. But it was a really unusual circumstance. And there was part of me also thinking, I'm sure they were thinking this too, if the rain was worse and it prevented them from coming back to resume the game, it would have been suspended. The game was now tied. It doesn't revert back to the previous inning. That doesn't happen anymore. Maybe that would have been better because Finnegan would have been able to sleep all night, rest up, and come back and pitch fresh. Now, again, I don't think the situation affected at all the way that he pitched. He doesn't think so either. But it was another little wrinkle, that whole uh, scenario. Well, let's make this clear. The Nats lost this game because of their hitting. The Nats scored just one run the entire game, didn't have an extra base hit the entire game. But yet what happened with the bullpen was particularly interesting. So we had the Kyle Finnegan scenario. And then, as Mark was just mentioning, we had the Mason Thompson scenario. So, you know, Mason Thompson at times this season, as we know, has been great. I mean, he threw games on May 1st, had an ERA of 180 for this season. But he's starting with an appearance on May 2nd, had a really bad May. He actually had a good June. 
but he's having a bad July. He has been very up and down, and Thompson on Thursday night was not good. He officially allowed two runs in a third of an inning. He faced five batters, got just one out. He threw 21 pitches, 11 strikes. That was it versus 10 bulls. Now, there was some bad luck, yes. Thompson gave up a one-out infield single by Jeff McNeil on a swinging bunt on a 1-2 pitch as uh, catcher K-Bit Ruiz actually slipped in throwing to first base, although McNeil might have been safe anyway. And then Thompson gave up a one-out single by Pete Alonso on a weird play, a high fly ball into no man's land in center field. Alex Cole initially went back before charging in. You know, there's also this thing of Nats outfielders playing really deep. So I think you certainly could chalk that play up to bad luck. But then Thompson gave up a game-tying one-out full-count RBI single by Daniel Vogel back to right field to tie the game at one. And then things really unraveled. Thompson issued a one-out wild pitch, giving the Mets runners on second and third with one out. And then on the very next pitch after the wild pitch, Thompson issued a one-out hit-by-pitch of DJ Stewart to load the bases with one out. And then that was it. Davey Martinez pulled Thompson from the game. Kyle Finnegan was set to pitch, and then came the rain. When Vic came out, you know, he said, hey, Davey, about two minutes, they're going to downpour. So he said, we're going to get tarp on the field. I mean, at that point, like I said, I can't, we can't control you know, Mother Nature. And But man, Mason Thompson, when he's off, he's really off. And he was off in this game. And that's the problem is that you can kind of see it coming. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of ability to get through that and get out of it. And, you know, Davey tried to push it as far as he could and it got to a point that he couldn't anymore. The start of the jam, not really his fault. Like I said, the little dribbler, the blooper. Watching the replay, I don't feel like even if Alex Call gets a good break on it, that he does make it there in time. It was really hit that shallow and I don't think he was going to get there. But as you pointed out, and we've been talking about a lot this year, they do position their outfielders really deep and it leaves you susceptible to things like that happening. Again, I don't know if it would have made enough difference if he was would have gotten there in time if he's playing a little shallower, but it did kind of feel like that you know, played a role, at least in setting it up. Now, everything after that, you can put on Mason Thompson's shoulders, the RBI single, the wild pitch, the hit by pitch. And it's a little bit baffling why things start to go downhill for him and why he can't get out of it. And it is a concern because, especially in their current state, they need him. He's their second most reliable reliever at the moment behind Finnegan. They can't afford to have an inning where he takes the mound in a close game, and then you aren't even sure he's going to be able to finish that inning. Like They have to get three outs from him or more at times, and when he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it, and that was the case in this one. Yeah, the other two Nats relievers in this game, Jordan Weems, uh, he in the bottom of the seventh, faced three batters and got two outs. He did give up a one-out double by Brett Beatty to the right center field gap, and Jose A. Ferrer then came into the game in the bottom of the seventh with the runner on second, two outs, Nats up one nothing, and he got the Mets' number one batter, Brandon Nimmo, to line out to Corey Dickerson for the third out. Look, kind of buried in all of this is that Josiah Gray, oh, by the way, on Thursday night, tossed six scoreless innings. Now, this is kind of an odd outing for Gray. He, again, did his thing of not being pitch efficient, put some guys on base from a standpoint of walks and hit by pitches, but six scoreless innings. He only gave up two hits, both of which were singles. He issued three walks and two hit by pitches. He recorded four strikeouts. All of that added up to him over his six innings, throwing 106 pitches, 63 strikes versus 43 balls. But this really is becoming a theme with Josiah Gray. Like every game we say, well, he threw a lot of pitches and, you know, he put some guys on base. 
But geez, six shutout innings are six shutout innings. His ERA for this season now is down to 327 over 21 starts. Right. It's hard to find too much fault when you have those kind of results. Now, you would love for him to be a little more efficient. You'd love for him to have a few more one, two, three innings, but maybe this is just who he is. And, you know, this is interesting. I was looking at all of his rate stats for the season as this game was going on. And what stands out to you is his whip is actually higher this year. His strikeout rate is down this year. His walk rate's about the same. What's the difference? It's the home run rate. He's cut it in half. That is the number one reason that he has turned it around this year. Now, is that a reflection of what he's been doing? Is that a fluke? Is that something that eventually is going to backfire on him? I mean, there were two balls in this game back-to-back in the third inning that off the bat looked like they might be home runs. They were caught at the warning track. But I do think the additions to his pitching arsenal that he's added, the cutter especially, throwing a lot more pitches that move, trying to induce weak contact. I think there's something to be said for that. It's working. It's not leading to strikeouts and it is leading to base runners, but it's not leading to a lot of loud contact. And I think that ultimately is a plan that seems to be working for him. Now, are we going to declare that that's who he can be and that this is going to be successful long-term? I don't know. Maybe eventually that catches up to him, but you can't argue with the results. The results have been really good. They have been. And I always say this, but it's like, If you could have signed a piece of paper coming into this season that Josiah Gray of back-to-back years of ERAs over five for the Nats would have an ERA this low, this deep into the season, we all would have signed that piece of paper, not caring how we got to that ERA. Like That is drastic improvement off what we saw the previous two years. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Gray, and I was certainly thinking about him going into this game on Thursday night. And, And you do wonder, like, is there a fluke factor to this season? Can a guy who doesn't have a great fastball and who doesn't strike a lot of guys out ever truly be an ace? You know, like I, I kind of keep coming back to that with him. Like, I don't know. I feel like the upside is limited if he never develops a great fastball and he never becomes that great of a strikeout pitcher. But that doesn't mean that he can't be a really good pitcher. And, you know, ultimately good starting pitching, it doesn't matter so much if you have an ace, quote unquote. Like if you have three or four good starting pitchers, like four B plus pitchers, I'll take that over having an A-plus guy, and then you have to close your eyes with the other four guys in the rotation, you know? So if Gray can be someone who's good, maybe even, you know, really good, that's good enough. Like, you don't have to be, you know, averaging 12 strikeouts per nine innings and having, you know, ERAs in the twos. Like, if this is what he is, ERAs in the threes, putting some guys on base, but, you know, consistently giving you, say, you know, five innings plus six innings, good run prevention— I think you can work with that. I I think you you can more than function with that if that is who he is. Yeah, of course. And in the team's ideal world, he's their number three starter here in the next year or two and when they get good. And Mackenzie Gore and Kate Cavalli are your one and two in one form or another. And maybe they even go out and get somebody else at some point to lead them all. So they don't necessarily need him to lead the way. Now, right now, he's their best pitcher in terms of the stats taking the ball every fifth day, giving them a chance. He was an all-star, ERA in the low threes. That's all great. And I think if nothing else, what we can say this year is he's learning about himself and figuring out who he is and how he can be effective. Now, is that always going to be effective? That method, that approach? I don't know. But I do know that he puts a lot of time and effort into all this. He cares about the art of pitching. He studies it. He knows what the trends are. He knows what he's doing well, what he's not doing well. 
He goes into every game with a game plan that he thinks is going to be successful. And I think he's figuring this all out, that it can work. It's maybe not the conventional way you see from most pitchers, especially young pitchers in the big leagues in 2023, but it's working for him. And that's really all that matters. You don't have to try to be something you're not. Figure out what you're good at, go out there and do that, and try to have some success with it. And he's doing that. Yeah, Josiah Gray came into Thursday eighth among all National League pitchers in war for baseball reference on the season. Again, we all would have signed up for that going into this season. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets, and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 6-4-3 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They're loaded up. The Mets play back on the infield, hoping for two. Here's the pitch to Ruiz. Swing and it's golfed in the air to right field, medium deep. Stewart is there waiting. He will make the catch, tagging at third Abrams. He's coming home. The throw toward the plate is cut off by Alonzo. He'll throw to second. Manessa slides there, and he's safe. Comes off the bag, but the call is still safe. 
And the Nationals take the lead on the sack fly. The runners move up, and it's one nothing Nationals. Well, again, the Nats lost this game on Thursday night primarily because of their hitting. I mean, Mason Thompson or not, the Nats on Thursday night scored one run, totaled just five hits, all of which were singles. Did work four walks, but went just one for five with runners in scoring position. A tough night for Lane Thomas. He went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. You know, Thomas has cooled off. We haven't talked about this a ton, but Lane Thomas for this month of July has an on-base percentage of just 293 and a slugging percentage of just 370. So as this month of July has been so good for guys like C.J. Abrams and K. Bert Ruiz, it has not been a good month for Lane Thomas. And also having a brutal month is Luis Garcia. He on Thursday night, 0 for 3. Garcia for this month of July, on base percentage of 236, a slugging percentage of just 239. The Nats' lone run in the game came in the bottom of the six on a one-out RBI sack fly by K. Bert Ruiz, but just not a lot happening offensively for the Nats in this game. Well, they did finally score an earned run in the first six innings of the game. They had not done that since Sunday. So let's give them credit for that, even though the method to get it was anything but inspiring (laughs) the way they had to manufacture that one run. Let's talk about Lane Thomas because, yeah, he has been disappointing here lately, especially with runners on base, runners in scoring position. He hasn't actually been that great in those spots. And there were a couple of at-bats in this game where they needed something more from him than he gave him. Second inning, he's got two on and two out. And he strikes out on an 0-2 count. And then really the bad one was the seventh inning. It is first and third with one out. You're already up one nothing, but you have a golden opportunity to extend that lead there. And at the first pitch, he grounds into a 6-3 double play. Look, it happened to be laying today, but it's it's been you know quite a few guys not being able to drive runs for third base. But like I said, he's been he's been unbelievable all year long for. So you know, and he knows you know he was frustrated when when he when he grounded out, and uh, you know have a bad day tomorrow. We talked about the Cabert Ruiz at bat in the ninth inning the previous day, which ultimately did not cost them, but it felt like it might have cost them in that dramatic rally. This was along those lines. You have to work the count better. You're going to swing at the first pitch. You better put better contact on that. You better hit the ball in the air with a runner on third base and less than two outs. So you can believe that he's going to get this thing back and that what we're seeing here is not a sign of a complete falling apart of his offensive skills, but it has been noticeable that it has not been the same that we saw earlier in the year. And it's particularly noticeable in some of these big moments where they just need a clutch hit from him, something he did so well for three months, uh, all of a sudden he's not really doing it that much. Interesting nugget from MLB insider Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic uh, as we do approach the MLB trade deadline on Tuesday. And, you know, we've wondered, is Lane Thomas a true trade ship? Is Lane Thomas about to be traded? Maybe not. Well, Rosenthal had this, quote, one problem for the Nationals as they field offers For outfielder Lane Thomas, they value him as an everyday player who is under club control for two more seasons, while prospective suitors see him as more of a platoon player. Thomas, a right-handed hitter, is batting 367 with a 1,061 OPS and 138 plate appearances against lefties this season, 258 with a 719 OPS in 299 plate appearances against righties end quote. So I thought that that was an interesting nugget from Ken Rosenthal. I mean, I think you could also counter that and say Lane Thomas, since coming to the Nats, if you look at the overall offensive numbers, has been a good hitter. Like, you know, what he's doing this season is above what he had been doing, but it's not like in 21 and 22, he was not, you know, doing anything offensively. Like he actually was all right. 
So, you know, I think there's value in Lane Thomas, but, you know, that is a key point. He has been especially good against lefties this season and, you know, not that good against righties. And about 75% of the pitching of the majors is right-handed pitching. And, you know, I guess it does come back to something that we've discussed, which is, look, all of these Nats outfielders at the major league level right now might not be starting caliber guys. Lane Thomas is leading the pack in terms of someone who you look at and say, okay, well, he could be a starting guy. He could be a piece for the future. But you also could flip it and say, yeah, you know, he does a lot of damage against lefties. He's really not that good against righties. And so, you know, ideally, he would be in a platoon situation and not an everyday batter. Well, I think Mike Rizzo sort of telegraphed this for us a week or two ago when we talked to him about approaching the trade deadline and how he would think of Lane Thomas. He says, we view him as an all-star. If somebody else out there does, then we'll take that phone call and we'll consider if it's something worth doing. But if they don't view him that same way, we're not moving him. And I think you're seeing evidence of that, that other teams probably don't value him the same way the Nationals do, which is fine. It doesn't make one right or one wrong in terms of that. It just means what he does for your team and his role on your team may not be what other teams think he's going to be for them. And so you're not going to trade a guy with multiple years of control left if another team isn't valuing him as high as you do yourself. We keep saying he can be a part of a good team in the next year or two. You don't know for sure which of these prospects are going to pan out. And even if they do, he's already establishing himself now as, like you said, a good major league hitter. Remember, the first couple months after they traded for him, in 2021, he put up some huge numbers down the stretch of that season that made you, you know, immediately say, wow, look at what they just got for John Lester. <laughs> Even if this guy never hits again, the fact that they got two big months out of Lane Thomas makes that trade worth it. And he's gone on since then to be quite good. Up and down last year, but still was voted as the team's offensive player of the year. And what he's done this year, I think, speaks for itself. So is he a complete, perfect player all around? And is he a, truly a, a perennial all-star? Maybe not, but he is a good player. And on this team, he's probably their best everyday player. And so because of that, unless Mike Rizzo gets an offer that clearly matches that, I don't really see it happening. Yeah. What Rosenthal wrote also reeks of something that an executive who might actually be interested in trading for Lane Thomas might leak to Ken in order to try to bring down what Mike Rizzo is asking for Lane Thomas. There's a, a lot of you know, smoke screening and subterfuge and fake news that goes on this time of year as we approach the trade deadline. C.J. Abrams did have another good game on Thursday night. I do want to mention that. He got on base three more times, one for three with a single and two walks, had another stolen base. So Abrams now in this month of July, an on-base percentage of 398. Alex Cole got on base three times, one for one with a uh, swinging bunt single and two walks, although he did get thrown out on an attempted steal of second base. While we're talking some trade deadline stuff, how about all of this stuff that is out there about the Angels being interested in Jamer Candelario? So first of all, you have the Angels now who seemingly have shifted from sellers to buyers, aren't trading Shohei Otani. Otani, by the way, is unreal with what he's doing lately. But the Angels, it was just a few years ago. They spent seven years, $245 million on a free agent third baseman whose work you may be familiar with. His name is Anthony Rendon. Rendon has been a disaster for the Angels, not only from a standpoint of he really hasn't been that good as a player, but he's been hurt. And there's a lot out there that he's become a malcontent. There's a lot of stuff that's been talked about of him not getting along with people and him not being happy there. 
and the Angels might actually trade for a third baseman, trade for a Nats third baseman and Jamer Candelario. There's a poetry to that, that if it happens, would just be, you know, a chef's kiss. Oh, the delicious irony if this actually comes to fruition that the $245 million the Angels spent on the previous Nationals third baseman wasn't enough. And now they had to give up prospects in order to get the current Nationals third baseman. Uh, it seems to me like everything I sense, the Angels and the Yankees are probably the two teams at the top of the list that have a need there. Maybe the Marlins to some extent. The Marlins, by the way, who all of a sudden are buyers, they bought the Mets closer, David Robertson, apparently during the rain delay, which is why Robertson didn't pitch the bottom of the ninth. We all, as it's playing out, are thinking, why is Brooks Rayleigh pitching the ninth inning in a one-run game? And it all happened so fast, you didn't have time to contemplate it. And literally, as the game was ending, the news broke that the Mets are trading David Robertson to the Marlins. So the highest payroll team in the majors is selling to one of the lowest payroll teams in the majors, which tells you about the bizarre state of the season. But yeah, this next few days are going to be very interesting to see what the market is for Candelario. And boy, if the Angels are the ones that end up doing it, I think Mike Grizz will have a, a particularly wide smile on his face if after all this, after losing Rendon to them and watching the Angels pay all that money to a guy who has not lived up at all to what he was supposed to be, if now the Nats actually do get a prize. We said the Nats didn't get anything for Rendon in the end. They let him walk. Well, they may get something in the end for him in the form of a prospect for Jamer Candelario. How about that? It's amazing how this stuff can work out. And the Angels already may be viewing Anthony Rendon as a sunk cost. Well, speaking of Nats players uh, who were here but no longer are here, Max Scherzer. Game two for the Nats at the Mets, Friday night at 7-10. And how about the pitching matchup, Mackenzie Gore versus Max Scherzer? The Nats ace of the past against, perhaps, the Nats ace of the future. You know, we have not had many juicy starting pitching matchups in Nats games this season. Might I suggest this is the juiciest, at least so far. McKenzie versus Max, Friday night, New York City. Sign me up. I'm looking forward to this one. McKenzie Gore pitched really well the last time he was here at City Field in April. Max Scherzer, who just turned 39 years old, believe it or not, is not having the kind of season that he thought he would still have, even at his advanced age. And obviously the Mets are now teetering <laughs> where even after beating the Nats, it looks like they are sellers at the trade deadline. There is a lot of compelling stuff taking place here in Flushing over the next few days, and I'm very much looking forward to this matchup of the uh, former ace and maybe the future ace of the Nationals. The Nats haven't fared real well against Max since he left them. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. We know they're not scoring a lot of runs at the moment, but that would be quite something if Mackenzie Gore could beat Max Scherzer and perhaps help push the Mets finally over the edge to the point where they concede that they are not going to win this year and start selling off parts. Although Max could be traded before Friday night at 710, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a possibility too. Before we go, Al, I want to give one quick shout out. I want to say hello to Simon Tipple, a loyal listener of ours from Brighton, England. Yes, one of our foreign listeners, born and grew up in England, learned to love baseball, became a Nationals fan, attended one game at Nats Park against the Phillies in 2009. And on Thursday night, attended his second ever Major League Baseball game at City Field to watch the Nationals play. I got a chance to meet him during the rain delay. Very cool to meet you, Simon. And once again, showing how the breadth of this podcast literally reaches around the world. It was very cool to experience that. Awesome. Shout out to Simon. 
Shout out to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nat Chat podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. You tell us what you think. You can find us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a great website for you too, natschatpodcast.com, in which you can listen to previous shows and you can order a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Frankie delivers. Swing a long drive to left. Way back. Forget about it. It is going, going, and long gone into the Crawford boxes. And the Nationals are on the board. Anthony Rendon has his second home run in the World Series. It's now the Astros 2 and the Nationals 1. As Anthony Rendon delivers a big hit here in the seventh inning.